guardians of the littles, and protectors of their hearts and minds. Welcome to the future. This is Early Education 3.0, sponsored by Obabu. Using social-emotional wellness to pioneer the way, this team of academic experts discuss modern principles en route to new methods within the universe of early education and boldly go where no preschool has gone before. All right. So, good evening, everybody. This is Alicia with Obabu. And we are super, super excited to invite Dr. Deb Courtney, who is an established psychotherapist and author, as well as the owner of the Pine Grove Country Day School in New York. She is going to help us understand a bit more about socio-emotional learning and why it's important. She has a book that's getting ready to come out. Um, what's the title of your book that's getting ready to come out, Ms. Deb? It's called um, Peace Warrior. It's still a work in progress, so we're not quite there yet. But um, before that, I'm actually having an online learning platform come out this fall, which is all about um, self-growth and personal development, which I'm super excited about. Oh, that's awesome. Tell us more. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> it's basically the, the combination of all of the modalities that I'm really passionate about in therapeutic work. And I've integrated them together to create different self, self-led self personal development courses. So it's really an integration of um, very scientific evidence-based trauma-informed approaches okay. and holistic and spiritual and Eastern approaches to wellness and health. Oh, so wow. it's basically my favorite approaches to wellness that I practice in my life and also that I use with my clients so that people can have access to this education on their own terms and really use it to foster their own well-being. Okay, cool. Now, so you said professional development, so that's obviously adult-oriented. Right. Personal development. Yeah, it's adult oriented. And I do a lot of this work of bridging the gap. Most of my work with my clients is young adults and adults. And then my work educationally is with the little ones. And the reason why I feel passionate about working with both groups is because we see that whatever we don't get access to on a social emotional level in at a young age, it just continues to manifest our life into adulthood. So whether I'm working with a child or an adult, the work is pretty much the same, which is about honoring our emotions, making room for them and learning really healthy ways to express them so that we don't have them kind of manifesting in symptomology or in disease or illness. So it's really helping us understand the power of our emotional expression and finding ways, really good ways to get that out into the world that feels empowering to us. Okay. So what it seems like you're saying is that our emotional development is intricately linked to our physical development and those two kind of go together and can affect one another. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, So then we were talking in, in regards then to, to the little ones between the ages mm-hmm. of three to five, when, when we're in that really intensive emotional development period, what difference does it make in the life of a child for them to receive 100% what they need for that emotional development as opposed to not? Like what, what kind of scenario are we looking at when these children become adults? It really makes all the difference in the world, Alicia. So for children that are given a safe space to understand how to identify their emotions, learn healthy ways to express them, and really be taught that it, they're safe 
even if they're having a big feeling, that they have the capacity to tolerate those big feelings changes the whole course of their life. So what I often see in adulthood for people that weren't given that safe space or weren't given that education is that they have trouble identifying their emotions and they get really scared or frightened by their emotions, which can cause a tremendous amount of anxiety or can cause us to shut down into a depression. Because if from a young age, we were kind of taught not to validate our emotions, but to push them away, then it's been a lifetime of kind of feeling uncomfortable with all of this human emotion that is very normal for us to be having. So whether it's anger or frustration or sadness or fear, right? Those are just as valid as emotions, as happiness and excitement and love. And they're all part of our beautiful human experience. So from a young age, when we can be taught that no emotion is bad, that in fact, they're all okay and you can make room for them and you can move through them and you can tolerate them, then we move into adulthood really comfortable expressing all of our emotions, learning how to move through them and not being so overcome by them when they show up, where then we try to find ways to maybe repress them. You know, when we look at our numbers, the statistics of things like addiction or alcoholism, right? I really see those, um, those behaviors as a function of discomfort with one's emotionality, because it's really this need to suppress it or repress it or to escape rather than to be comfortable in that state. So I guess that means that moving in and out pretty much had it right. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Does that make sense? What I shared? Uh, yes, it does make sense. So you were talking about that the, so when we are, we're repressing our emotions or how about what that thing that happens where people like convert their emotions, right? So you're moving towards a sad situation. And, mm -hmm. it, and instead of being able to kind of lean into that and feel it, you find something to get angry about. Flip out and just walk away from the whole thing, <laughs> right? That's something totally. that, that I've seen several times um, and, and that I've come to recognize, like even in my own family. So being uncomfortable with big emotions can actually affect our relationships in everyday life. It affects us how we treat our children we treat our partners. Um, and I guess it also would carry over into our, our um, professional life, our careers, right? If you're a person that can't handle those big emotions, then how capable are you at, at leading a team or any of those types of situations? 100% or even being part of a team, right? Because if you think about relations, right, being in relationship with another, it often requires the ability to self-reflect and to be able to share what your experience is in an appropriate way. Right. But if we get overcome, like let's say we're sitting in a meeting and somebody says something that doesn't quite sit well with us, we need to have the capacity to check in with ourselves and be like, ooh, what am I feeling? What's happening? You know, what was my boundary that was crossed? And be able to express that in a calm, professional way, right? If we don't have that capacity to check in and express our truth, and identify what our emotions are, then what happens is we act them out. So maybe we'll act them out by shutting down or we'll act them out by um, resenting that person and, and not treating them maybe with the most respect or lashing out in the meeting, all of which wouldn't really be productive in a workspace, right? It would kind of cause some kind of, uh, some kind of negative outcome. Right. So, so 
<clears throat> so we really want to think about that, that, that ability to check in, identify what we're feeling and know how to either express it in the appropriate way for that setting is so important across all areas of life. I mean, think about being with a partner, right? Having a romantic relationship. We need to do that all the time. Right. And when we don't do that appropriately express what I am feeling, then what happens? It usually leads to conflict. Right. And so to have, you know, a better outlook on life, right. And in a better approach to learning and, and growing, it helps for us to kind of emerge children into this earlier. Right. Now we're using a lot of big words and a lot of terminology. Are children as young as three uh, to five really able to kind of grasp these concepts? Is this something that we're able to break down to help them understand it? Absolutely. So, you know, I'm always so amazed by the kids in our program, even younger, you know, even I see it with the toddler age, but just, they are such sponges. Their brains are working at the quickest rate they'll ever work in their lifetime. Just putting together everything they're taking in, in their environment, everything that you're teaching them. So they're, they're capable of so much of this work. You know, when you help a child, it always amazes me when I I'm working with three-year-old and they're having trouble managing a big feeling. And I just say, let's take a breath, you know, and their inclination may be at first to resist it. And after a moment, then to breathe in with me and to see them learn that they can regulate their body right. and that they can tolerate that anger or frustration. It's like game changing for them. Okay. You know, so they absolutely can access this work. They're so eager to access, you know, they have such big feelings in that little body Uh that they want someone to teach them about them and hold space for them. Right. Okay, cool. Now, how does that relate to the creation of the I beliefs that also happens during this period? Yeah, 100%. So, I beliefs are, you know, and I'm saying this with the letter I, is that we develop our very core and sense of who we are in the world at those very young ages. And the reason why is, again, because our brain is developing so rapidly, we're internalizing everything we see going on around us. Mm -hmm. So when we um, are, let's say a child is having a big feeling and having a hard time with it. If we're just trying to move them through it and say, don't cry, don't cry, then the message we're giving them is that they cannot tolerate the sadness, right? That it's not okay for them to be sad. So a child creates an I belief about themselves when we teach them that. So they might internalize, I can't feel sadness or I can't tolerate sadness, Right. And that's the belief now that they're developing about themselves. Right. Right. Whereas when we say it's okay, tell me about, you know, tell me about what you're feeling. What are you sad about? Now, all of a sudden they're internalizing. I can tolerate my sadness. Right. You know, it's safe for me to feel sad. Right. Now, what's interesting is the, the, the gender norms that come out in this, right? Because, you know, if the girl is sad, then then they're more likely, you know, to try to console her and comfort her. But then when it's a boy, it's suck it up. It's okay. (laughs) Get up off the floor. Stop crying. It's not that serious. Right. So then how does that ultimately translate? What kind of issues do we start to see develop later on um, from that type of behavior? 
Totally. I have a lot of empathy for men in our society because what happens is from early on in childhood, you know, they receive this messaging um, from society or from their families or from schools of suck it up, you know, boys Mm -hmm. don't cry or whatever the messaging is. And then they wind up in um, adult relationships with a partner where their partner is expecting them to be able to be emotional. Mm-hmm. expecting them to be able to communicate their emotion and express their feelings in an intimate way. And basically their entire childhood as a society, we've been shutting that down and saying, don't feel your feelings, don't express your feelings in certain ways, right? So it really leads to very uh, a difficult time connecting on an intimate level. It can often lead to some anger issues or, you know, um, depression or anxiety because there's years of kind of stuffing all of this emotion and not getting it out. Mm-hmm. Right. So we see a lot of mental health ramifications from it for sure. Okay. Now I want to ask you, and this is going totally off, but as you mentioned, um, like Eastern, uh, Eastern norms and how Eastern culture is, is more holistic. How mm-hmm. do Eastern cultures encourage people to handle their emotions? That's a great question. So I think what happens in the West is we wind up getting in Western culture, we wind up getting very much in our head. So we're often taught, what do you think about that? Like Mm -hmm. the question is about what are you thinking? And even when we ask someone in Western culture, what are you feeling? Oftentimes they'll give you a thought because we overthink everything in Western culture. Whereas in Eastern culture, there's a much greater connection to the body and it's much more about embodiment. So if you look at things like the chakra system, it really is about how energy lives and moves through your body, right? And if we understand that our emotions actually get stored in our body, if you think of the word feeling, what are you feeling? It's actually... It's, it's kind of leading you down that road of what sensations are you experiencing in your body? Right. So if you start thinking in those terms, it really kind of helps us identify that emotions are so much more than I think I'm sad. Emotions can be, oh, I feel a heaviness in my chest, right? Or I feel a fear, a tightness in my throat right? So it really is much more holistic in nature in that it connects our mind and our body and helps us understand that emotions are really powerful sensations that live in our body. Okay. All right. That is awesome. Thank you so much for, for letting us go back, go over there just a little bit. Yeah. Back through and see. Um, so what do you think the impact would be if society as a whole came to understand, you know, let's just say 50% of society decided to embrace socio-emotional development for children between the ages of three to five. What kind of difference would that make when it comes to creativity, right? New technologies, innovations, uh, crime and, and poverty, low economic systems. Like how, how does the world change when more people are able to deal with the big feeling? I mean, it's game changing, like completely, because, you know, what we are creating then is, um, you know, a massive amount of people that have the capacity to tune in with themselves. Right. And when we're not shut down because of our emotions, 
but like, we're not afraid of our emotions, then we are able to be out in the world in a really brave way. Because now we navigate in the world vulnerably, honestly, living and speaking in our truth from those spaces, right? Everything changes. I mean, I I feel I'm thinking of Brene Brown right now and all of her teachings on vulnerability and, and bravery, right? And when we are not shut down because of our repression of emotions over the course of years, but rather we're free because we've been expressing ourselves from the time we're three years old. There's so much more room inside for us to dance. There's so much more room for us to create from, and not only create, but create our truth because we feel brave enough to do so, right? So that means that everyone is now living in their truth and here to do what they came to do. I mean, now we're getting into a little bit of spiritual stuff, but for me, my belief system is we all come here with a mission, with a purpose, um, you know, and that when we're living that truth, we're helping to make the world a better place. So, you know, if we all feel free enough and brave enough in our emotional state to do that, to stand in our truth and contribute our mission, then I think the world becomes a, a, a remarkably better place. Most definitely. So then let's talk about a, a, a wee bit, a little one who's been taught to live his truth. What kind of what kind of personality does he or she have going into kindergarten? How do they take that on? Mm, yeah. So if we are helping children effectively from three to five before they're getting into grade school um, to really identify their emotions, identify their truth, express it appropriately, they are going into kindergarten feeling confident. They're feeling confident in who they are in the world. They're feeling confident about their ability to learn. They're feeling excited to learn, right? That we are fostering a love of learning for them. Because if you think about learning, what happens so often for children is we put them into a classroom and we expect them all to learn the same way. And then when they potentially get frustrated or overwhelmed with a big feeling, we kind of say there's no space for that here. You need to behave and listen, right? Right. So if that's the case, it's just going to continue to shut them down further. And they're going to internalize, I don't like learning. I don't like school or I'm not smart enough or I'm stupid, right? Uh, I believe. Whereas if we help them recognize, it's okay if you're frustrated because you're not taking this in in the way that it's being taught. Let's help identify that frustration and express it so that we can get creative about the way that it's taught to you and the way you can take it in, right? Right. That's a game changer. Now, all of a sudden, they're so confident in themselves and they enjoy learning and look forward to learning. Right, most definitely. So, get back. So we help them in one of their early developmental phrases understand, you know, their emotions um, and develop that confidence. So then as they continue to move through life, right? So we have them at kindergarten, let's say between the fifth and sixth grade when there's that a really big shift, right? Mm-hmm. What is that part, what does that child look like at that point? How do they handle the new challenges of, of friendships and 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 as friendships turn into something more? Right. Yeah. What kind of person are we looking at? Yeah. Well, I think when you're looking at those preteen years, we know that the hormones that come along with preteen years and teenage years, they're really big and they create really big feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So when a child has been taught from that young age, you can tolerate big feelings, 
right? Learn how to check in with yourself and ask yourself, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling it in my body? And how am I going to respond to it? Right. And by the time they're at that point of that preteen, teen, hormonal kind of chaos, Mm -hmm. they're prepared, right? Yeah, it's going to feel new to them because it's a new stage, but they have those skills already such a, a part of them that they're able to say, you know what? I'm really out of control. I feel really out of control right now. And this is what I need to do to help myself. Or if they start dating someone as a teenager in high school, they will have the capacity to say, you know, that really didn't feel good to me. I felt disrespected in the future. Please do X, Y, and Z. They'll have the capacity to set their boundary because they know how to check in with themselves. Right. Right. So, you know, they'll really be prepared to both take care of themselves and to show up in a healthy way in their relationships. Right, right, exactly. That That's fantastic because I can even speak from personal experience and say it took me a long time <laughs> right? <laughs> to learn the importance of boundaries. And then once we get yeah. the importance of boundaries, it's like, now how do I live that truth and explain to other people, listen, this is where the boundary is and, and I'm sorry, but this is the boundary, Right. And uh, I was in my 30s before I was really uh, where I am right now, (laughs) able to kind of understand that and embrace it. But often I do look back and reflect and I wonder what kind of life would I have had if I understood this sooner, right? Mm -hmm. And um, how many bridges burned that didn't have to go down that way if I knew exactly what it was that was happening at that time. And so I, I definitely am able to see and and understand the importance of helping children early on, right? With their emotions and and really being able to make their way through. Okay, I'm probably not actually gonna say anything on the recording. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No, I I think that was great. You should leave that. You know, the other thing that's coming up for me as you're saying that is that I think sometimes for young children, adults can get in the mindset of like, oh, We'll, we'll teach them that later, right? you know? And it's important to remember that in that early stages of childhood, we are literally building the foundation for the house. Right. So you are building, you are pouring the concrete in those early stages so that later you can continue to build on them about self-respect and and communicating boundaries, right? Like if we just all of a sudden start to do that when they're adolescents and in a dating relationship for the first time, it's very difficult for them to just all of a sudden grasp it then. But if we have the foundation in place from early childhood and keep building upon it, then it's a natural progression. Right. Awesome. So it's like a like a stair step progression, right? We start down here with trusting your own emotions and being able to understand and handle them. And then that's what interprets to being able to handle more complex scenarios as, as they get older. Exactly. That, that's amazing. Okay. Now let's step over just a little bit here because we are in 2021. It's a digital world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it certainly is, is. Right? Yeah. And so... Um, while ideally children would be able to, you know, learn these types of things, maybe in the public school system, um, maybe in preschool, we know that the reality is that less than 40% of children in the United States actually can go to preschool. 
because mm-hmm. of accessibility or affordability or lack of internet or, or something or another. There's something there that prevents them. So if we can remove that barrier, right, of accessibility and affordability by means of a digital medium, right, across the internet, how does that make a difference? Does it still make a difference? Are, are we able to have that influence um, that we need to start them on the right path if it's across a digital medium as opposed to me sitting here holding your hand? Tell me about that. I think 100%. So especially, I mean, I am sure you're familiar with this, but if you see kids at this in these days, you know, two-year-olds are able to operate a screen better than their parents a lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think children are comfortable engaging in this way at a young age. This, I I do think it depends on who you have on the other end of the screen, you know, the the way that they engage them. Um, But for sure, I think this is material that children engage with well whether it's over a screen or in person, that it's just material education that kids need to have. Um, So if someone is not getting it in person, I would 100% say that getting it over a screen is very beneficial as opposed to not getting it at all. Right. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you so much for speaking to that. Now let's take one more second here where we're almost finished. Socio-emotional development has become like this new, cool, interesting buzzword, right? Can you take what that is and maybe break it down into a few components for me to help us kind of really understand what we're talking about when we say that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the way that I understand it and teach it and work with it is a little bit different than what you might find in the academic textbooks about education. And the reason why is because I'm coming at it from my psychotherapy standpoint and from what I see in clinical practice with clients. So for me, social development, early childhood social emotional development is about what we've been talking about. It's about helping children get comfortable with their emotionality, being able to identify it, express it, learn how to cope with it in effective ways, and also help them engage socially with their peers. So when we have a bunch of children learning how to do this for themselves, it naturally fosters these healthy peer connections where they can learn how to play cooperatively together, support each other, lift each other up, right? Be empathic and empathetic and show up for each other. So that is what I'm, where I'm coming at social emotional development and early childhood from is that perspective of how do we help children really have the capacity for their, to make room for their own emotionality, not be afraid of it and connect with others in this deep, intimate way as well. Right. That's cool. Now, one of the ways that we want to be able to engage children um, at Obabu is that, so we have like our small group lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we, when we have a lesson going on, because they're with their core teacher most of the time for majority, for the majority of their four sessions, if we have a child that's frustrated, you know, or just, is just really, really excited and can't really seem to kind of calm down and connect, or you know, vice versa, that's a little sad and a little down and and also cannot connect. We want to be able to have a person um, 
probably the lead coordinator kind of step into the class. And the way they're going to do that is that they would kind of come in and create like a breakout room, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's just them and the child, and then they can kind of engage them a little bit, kind of pull, pull those feelings out some, and then see how we can best help the situation, right? And then once it's resolved, then we reach out to the parents and we say, you know, this is the kind of day we were having today. This is the conversation that we had. Um, is there something you want to share with us that we can work on? Or how can we best support you during this time period? Is that is that like an example of, of, of being able to handle helping a child to, to deal with the big feelings, I guess? Absolutely. I think it's really about creating a safe space for them to have the feeling. So it sounds like that's what you're describing by having that breakout room. That's like the safe space for them. And then having a supportive person there for them, right? That can tolerate the feeling. So that's what you're doing with having that teacher there, right? So it's it's creating that space for them to work through whatever it is that they're going through. And, to, and that person not to try to fix it for them or make it go away, but kind of just help them process it and move through it so that they can get to the other side of it. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, that <laughs> kind of reaffirms that for me because we're still... That's in development. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure that, yeah, that would be a good thing. Okay. Fantastic. So if there were um, one or two things that you want us to, to take away from today, what would that be? Um, I think my one or two things would be probably a message to parents, which um, I would say is to get support. Like I think parenting can be really challenging and hard, especially on the heels of the pandemic and being home and working from home and learning from home. And, you know, there's a lot of really good, even free supports out there, uh, even now on social media and things and get support so that you don't feel in it alone. And also recognize that it's not too late to do your healing work. So if this wasn't provided for you as a child and you have trouble identifying your feelings and honoring them and making room for them and speaking your truth and, you know, creating those boundaries in your life, that it's not too late. And that through learning how to do it for yourself now, you are doing healing work for your inner child and you're creating that generational shift by teaching your children how to do it as well. So that's what I would say for parents is that don't be afraid of this work. It's not too late for you. You haven't missed the boat, right? The inner child within you is still craving it for someone to say, Hey, your feelings are okay. So I would say, learn how to give it to your inner child while you're also teaching your own children how to do it. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And can you speak to just a wee bit why this is a great time to, to focus on those emotions, maybe more so than the pre-academics that people usually toss the babies into? Yeah, I mean, I think the pre-academics are great, right? It's like it, there's so much to be said about the child's brain taking in all this information so quickly and being prepared for kindergarten and reading and writing. And um, that's really great. But if I had to choose one or the other, I would definitely choose social emotional learning. The reason why is because those skills are, you know, they're more life-changing than learning, um, let's say math 
for instance. And children will get the academics, like when they're in the right setting for themselves of how they learn, they will pick up all those academics, right? Whereas we don't know if their school system necessarily is going to be teaching them the social emotional learning. So I just think that that is the priority is to get that foundation in place because we know the academics are definitely going to be taught. Right. Right, right. So if you want to take control of the situation in any area, let's start with the emotions because the, the academic avenues are out there to be able to be brought in. Yes. And the more a child is comfortable with their emotionality, the easier it's going to be able for them to take in and learn the academics as they move through their lifetime. Right, right. That is awesome. Dr. Deb, I am so immensely grateful uh, for you joining us and giving us all of this super valuable information. Um, I especially love when you brought up Renee Brown. That's my hero. I love her. (laughs) Me too. I love her too. Alicia, I can't thank you enough for having me with you. I mean, I think what you're doing is amazing. It's so needed and I'm a big supporter of the work that you're putting out there. So keep it up. And if there's anything I can do to help along the way, I am here. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. All right, y'all. This has been Early Education 3.0 with Alicia and Dr. Deb. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thanks for hanging with us today on Early Education 3.0. Check back in Tuesday at 10 and we'll beam you up for another celestial journey through the preschool frontier. And thanks to our sponsor, Obabu. Enrolling your littlest learner now.